Satan was very prominent during the time of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 27. This is very interesting because Satan is real. And we're going to talk about that today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the world's best-selling book. That is the Bible. And it is a good book to study today as we look at chapter 27. We'll do that in about three minutes' time. So stay there. Also, Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? All right, well, I am taking a look at the burial of Jesus Christ and the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Ryan? Today, I'm continuing my study from yesterday in which we learned how the first four Jewish festivals typified the major events of our Lord's first coming. On this episode, we examine the final three feasts and what they typify. Very good, Ryan. Look forward to that coming up in about 15 minutes. Janice? It's our Friday wrap-up question. It's going to be anywhere from Matthew chapter 13 through to 28. I hope you're ready. Matthew 27, 1 through 14. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed, and went and hanged himself. But the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 14. Today we finish up Matthew 20 and 27 and 28, and this is the last part of this book. And it is a great book, let me tell you. There was a great plan that was in play. Jesus was completing his assignment. Jesus was completing his assignment. Nothing that was happening was a surprise to the Lord God. God had accounted for the cost of human sin. It needed to be paid for now. Sin is powerful. 
and needed to be defeated so that the faithful could enter the kingdom of heaven. We read from Matthew 27 today about the details of Jesus's conviction. Maybe it was the religious leaders love for power. Maybe it was their sure ideas and traditions that completely captured them. Whatever the complexities, God knew. He had planned for Christ's conviction and death. And Jesus would shed his blood as a final sacrifice. He would take on human sin and his righteousness would become his followers righteousness. The rest of the plan could be further confounded in terms of his enemies. Jesus Christ would not stay dead. His teaching would not fade away. A new thing would be seen in the Holy Land. Christ would rise as the firstborn among the dead, the first to be resurrected, never again to die. The firstborn of the resurrected. I mean, can you imagine that? This is stunning displays of God's divinity in the Holy Land. That is absolutely amazing. Take your Bible guide and turn to the passage today. I call this the betrayal. This is Matthew 27, 1 to 14. And if you don't have a Bible guide, write to us or call us or go to Bible Discovery TV and click on the page and it'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations. And it'll take you to a place where you can download it like we printed it. Father, I pray today as we read this, we would see your plan in play. We would understand, Lord, the tremendous thing that you did when you died on the cross for us. Help us, Father, I pray, to understand what this means in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen and amen. Let's read, watch this, 27 verse 1. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. I want to read that again because that's important. When morning came, all of the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. These are the religious people. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. You see, Satan was in the religious corridors of the gathering. That's where Satan was. Satan is fully evident in the religious circles of our culture today. Let me explain something. When Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Who's he knocking on? Whose door? The church's door. The door of the church. You know, there are seven churches talked about in Revelation. Five of them are out of synchronization with God's plan. We need to make sure that we're not so wrapped up in our religion that we forget about the reality of what Jesus has done for us. Let's go on to the next scripture. Satan was in the religious quarters of the gathering. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, 
was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief of priests of elders. That's what he made, the deal he made for Jesus, saying, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. And then he threw the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went to the and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and brought with them the potter, bought with them with the pieces of silver, the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, the field that has been called the field of blood to this day. Then it was fulfilled what Jeremiah had spoken, the prophet saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who has, who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Do you understand Jeremiah 32 Six through nine is fulfilled. The Bible tells of the prophecies that have been made and they continue to be fulfilled today. Let me explain this. The Bible is full of prophecies and the prophecies were fulfilled by Jesus Christ, but they continue to be fulfilled today. More prophecies have been spoken about our future and we pray to Jesus Christ that people would come to know the Lord, come to know Jesus today. You don't have to call, you tell anybody, just pray and say, Jesus, I need you today. Help me to live for you. And then find a Bible and read through the Bible with us. And then when you're ready, find the church and that teaches the Bible and go to church. Man, that's important. That is the most important thing. It's a life-changing thing. All right, let's read on because this is interesting. Now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priest and the elders, he answered nothing. And Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word so that the governor marveled greatly. Jesus was silent. He knew what had to be done. Beloved, we cannot, this is very important today, we cannot solve all our problems by speaking, by talking. We need to listen and we need to pray. Our problems are not solved by talking about them all the time. Our problems, many times we pray, oh God, like Habakkuk, oh God, how long, oh Lord. And you know what God does? His Holy Spirit comes, heals us and helps us. And Father, I pray today, there are people going through things right now. Lord, touch them right now. I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would reach down and touch them and help them and heal them. Help them through their situations with people. Help them through their situations with friends. Help them through all of their situations because you understand betrayal. Lord Jesus, you understand betrayal. So help them today. In the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask this and we said together, all of us said together, amen. Remember, beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ knows betrayal because we betrayed him. But the Lord has shown us how to have life at the other side. Mm -hmm.
We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you clap and when you get excited, you are celebrating life. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ gave us life. But he promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent. Okay, so as I mentioned off the top of the program, my segment today is a continuation of our study from yesterday in which we learned about the first four annual feasts of Israel, which occur in the springtime and how they typified the major events of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. But interestingly, after these spring feasts, there's a long summer break and then three more feasts in the fall. The question is, if the spring feasts typify events of the Lord's first advent, then what did the long summer and three remaining feasts typify? Well, let's see if we can figure this out. Leviticus 23 records the God-appointed feasts and festivals Israel was to observe each year to commemorate God's deliverance of his people. Interestingly, it is also through these feasts that God reveals his outline for the future. There are seven feasts in total four in the spring and three in the fall. The spring feasts are Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and Pentecost. And the fall feasts are the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. It is interesting that the first four spring feasts all typify or prefigure the major events of Jesus Christ's first coming, namely his death, resurrection, and the giving of the Holy Spirit. Also notice that there is a long gap between the four spring feasts and the three fall feasts. Some Bible scholars suggest that the long summertime prophetically pictures the time between the first and second comings of Christ, the present church age of almost 2,000 years. So, if the four spring feasts typify the major events of Christ's first advent and the long summertime represents the current church age, then logically, the three remaining feasts must typify key events of the Lord's second coming. Because these events are yet future and remain to be fulfilled, there is some room for interpretation on what the remaining festivals typify. The first fall feast is the Feast of Trumpets, which was a simple one-day celebration on which trumpets were blown, special sacrifices were offered, and no work was done. While not everyone agrees on which future event this represents, one idea is that it pictures the regathering of the Jewish people at the end of the tribulation, at which time a trumpet will be blown. The second fall feast is the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, and was a day of fasting and repentance. While there are several aspects to the fulfillment of Yom Kippur, many scholars see the final fulfillment of this as the national repentance and salvation of the Jewish remnant in the end times. As Warren Worsby puts it, after Israel is gathered to her land, the Jews will see the rejected Messiah, repent of their sins, and be cleansed. The final feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Feast of Booths, commemorates the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites, during which time they lived in tents and walked with God as their head. While the previous feast was one of fasting and repentance, this was one of celebration. The children of Israel would gather the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and rejoice before the Lord for seven days. 
Many scholars think that prophetically, the Feast of Tabernacles looks to the millennial reign of Christ and the rest of his people in their promised land. Thus, just as the first four feasts typified the major events of Christ's first advent, the final three picture certain coming events of his second. You know, it's truly amazing. God in Leviticus 23 reveals his complete outline for the future. The first four feasts have found fulfillment in Christ's earthly ministry, and right now we're in the long summer break, the church age, which has been going for nearly 2,000 years. But that summer of grace could end at any moment, which will make way for the fulfillment of the final three feasts after the Great Tribulation. The only question I have for you is, are you prepared? Now is the time to accept Christ as your Lord and your Savior if you haven't already. And what you do is you pray and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, and I don't want to deal with my sin. I can't. Help me today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Be the Lord of my life. That's how you accept Christ. That becomes very important. Quickly, I'll just mention that we're going to be live on October the 21st from 1 o'clock till 5.30. We'd in love to person. meet you. We're going to be person. in person. In person. <laughs> Not like live person. streaming online. That's right, because we've done that before. <laughs> yes. True. The first time, and we would invite you to come out to Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton, Ontario, Canada. And what we want to do is register so that you understand, or so we understand how many people are coming, so you can go to Bible Discovery TV and go on the bottom and click register, or you can call us at 519-940-8338. We'd love to see you come, love to meet you, love to talk with you, see your faces, as Janice says. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very, very important. So thank you for coming. I'll say that in advance. It'll be great to see you. Okay, Corey. And you know what? It's gonna be a weekend, so maybe we'll throw in some questions. Okay, That's very right. good. You never know. Yeah. Never know. The could, Friday question will continue. Friday questions. <laughs> okay, I'm wading into the debate of where Jesus's tomb was. Where was that tomb that, uh, of Joseph of Arimathea that he gave to Christ? I know it's a bit of a miry, miry place, this, this debate between the two locations, but let's take a look at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is located in the busy Christian quarter within the walls of the old city of Jerusalem. Behind the church's claim to be built over top of the crucifixion site of Jesus and his rock-cut tomb is a couple thousand years of Christian history. Against it seems to be its location within the walls of the old city, and perhaps it's a millennia of Christian veneration that has led to a mishmash of confusing architecture. To the problem of its location, it is known from the records of Josephus that during the time of Christ, this area was outside of the city walls, but shortly after was incorporated into the city by Herod Agrippa's so-called Third Wall. Archaeological excavations conducted in the 1960s have demonstrated that the church area, long before Agrippa or the New Testament, back in the time of the kings of Judah, was once a limestone quarry. This quarry was then repurposed as a cemetery in the first century BC before being incorporated into the city proper by Agrippa. In AD 135, Roman Emperor Hadrian suppressed a Jewish rebellion, expelled Jews from Jerusalem, renamed Jerusalem and all of Judea for that matter. Over the quarry turned cemetery turned city, he built a huge raised platform filled in with dirt and a temple dedicated to Venus. The area was completely and thoroughly covered. 
The story of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre picks up again in the 4th century AD with the mother of Christian Emperor Constantine. During her pilgrimage to Jerusalem, Christians living there showed her the site, identifying it as the location of Golgotha and the tomb Christ had been laid in. The area was promptly cleared of any remains of Hadrian's temple, and a few hundred years after its burial, the quarry-turned-graveyard was unearthed. Constantine built a rotunda around the tomb Christians identified as Jesus's and a basilica where Christians could worship and pray. Since the 4th century, there have been many upgrades, switches of power, a few fires and restoration projects to get us to where we are today nearly 2,000 years later. But the truly intriguing prospect of the Holy Sepulchre that makes it stand out among other sites is that Christians living in Jerusalem had a preserved tradition of where Golgotha and Christ's tomb was. The Christian church had lasted in Jerusalem all that time without interrupted leadership. 200 years after the site had been buried by Hadrian, they successfully predicted a first century graveyard would be under the pagan temple. Was it a lucky guess? Even in their day, the location would have seemed an unlikely spot. It was inside their current-day walls and underneath a man-made platform that held a Temple of Venus. It, of course, can't be proven archaeologically that the venerated Tomb of Christ actually was the tomb Joseph of Arimathea gave to the Lord. But the place fits, and the early Christian tradition is impressive. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre has its own really impressive Christian history, and it has a really impressive uh, origin story as well. Uh, so it's got a lot going for it as a potential site. You know, as we as we go through the other Gospels, we'll take a look at some other sites too, but I think this is a really good one. There's a really interesting, now I've, I've been to Israel several times, you've been to Israel several times, and... Um, Just it, twice. It, it, people, <laughs> Me. <laughs> people see these these famous places where this happened and that happened. But in reality, it's hard for us to tell because there's so many things that can happen. And there's other places that have been marked for the same thing. So this is really interesting. Yeah, you got to dig into the history. You can't just go by what it looks like today. Because I mean, it's there's very a lot different of, today. Yeah, and as with a lot of religious sites, there's a lot of now religious history, right? There's 2,000 years of Christian history uh, that and and more than just Christian history at at a lot of these sites. So, so how many people have visited the Church of the Holy Sepulchre? Well, it's impossible to say. So many, so so because many. Because it's been a, it's been a site of pilgrimage since the since the fourth century A.D. So you got sixteen hundred years, give or take, of people visiting it. So sixteen hundred years of people visiting that site as the place. Yeah. Okay. So that's really interesting. I don't know how many people are there. There's over a, a million people in Jerusalem right now. Mm -hmm. So that's the most there's ever been. But that's really something. Very interesting. And if you are able to visit Israel, I would highly recommend it. I've been one time, and I remember leaning over to you, Rod, during the flight. And I said, I feel like I'm flying home. It was a very unique time. It was a very, it was very special. So if you can at all, uh, it's worth the effort mm -hmm. uh, to go. It really is. And you learn a lot and uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Place I, to I go. went, the first time I went, it was the middle of the Iraqi war. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I went with the television crew. I do remember that because I stayed 
back with the kids. They you were did. very, very you young did, at, and we at were, that point. You know, we, I was six weeks over there. I couldn't get home, and so it was really interesting. I still have the snail fossil that you brought me. <laughs> me too. Yeah, I, which yeah. I love. I'll tell you, it was... Proof real, of the flood. Yeah, there you go. That actually, that came from the top of the it, mountain they said was Sinai. Well, it's not, but, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was very high, and uh, they were everywhere. So, anyway. And what were yeah. you going to say, Corey? No, I still have a little jewelry box that you brought me back. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, and I got to... Keep just really, yes. it's just, it was different then. They, they didn't yeah. have the walls they have now and all of that, yeah. but it was also more interesting then. Now, it's interesting now what's happening over there and all of that, but uh, it is something to pray about and ask the Lord to help you because he will protect us in these times. So, very good. Okay, we got the question. We do, we do. I feel like I need uh, like an echo or something. Okay, there's a lot of you at home that uh, love to be put on the spot. So here we go. This is anywhere from Matthew chapter 13 to chapter 28. All right. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees asked Jesus to show them a sign from heaven, mm -hmm. he told them no sign would be given except what sign? Number one. That's an easy question. <laughs> maybe for you, but not for all. We have to just be patient now. The sign of the rainbow, the sign of the prophet Jonah, or the sign of a great storm. What mm. did Jesus tell the Pharisees and the Sadducees? No sign except one would be given. The sign of the rainbow, the sign of the prophet Jonah, or the sign of a great storm? Hmm. What I do you think? It's a good question. It is a good question. And last week we both did segments on this. We so did. it'd be very bad if, <laughs> if we missed, we missed it. it. Yeah. It'd be very, very bad. Because you wouldn't be watching your own segment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for that reason, we're going to go with the sign of Jonah. Jonah. And if that's what you said, Listen to the answer coming from Matthew chapter 16, verse 4. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them, meaning Jesus, and departed. So if you guessed the sign of the prophet Jonah, you got the answer right. Good for you. And if you didn't get it right, that's okay. Next Friday's coming. We'll study, we'll read the word, and we'll get it right. Remember October 21st, we're going to be live at Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton, Ontario from 1 till 5.30. It's free of charge, but you need to register just to make sure we know you're coming so we can have the coffee and everything ready. So go to Bible Discovery TV and register, BibleDiscoveryTV.com, and we'll look for you on October 21st to meet you and to see you. Father God, we pray today together. We pray that you would put a guard over our mouth. We understand that we talk too much. Help us, Lord, to listen more. 